jump into uh, this morning's message, which is the last in our series uh, that we're calling In Jesus' Name. And uh, prayer is, is really one of the core values of our church. And, and one of the things that we say as a church and one of the things that our documentation says is that uh, we don't want prayer to be a last resort. We want it to be our first response. Uh, that is to say that uh, a lot of times when we face challenges and difficulties uh, or when just life happens, uh, we try a lot of other things first. We, we try uh, to meet the need with our own resources, perhaps with some resources of friends or, or loved ones that could come alongside of us. And, and when maybe those resources fall short and there's nothing else, uh, then sometimes we say all that we can do now is pray. And uh, when we do that, sometimes we're, we're treating prayer as really a last resort. I've tried everything else, uh, and that didn't work, and so I'm now going to turn to the God, uh, the Creator God, to help address my need. And, and one of our um, core values as a church is to not make prayer a last resort, but a first response. That is to say uh, that we want to be uh, in prayer for the life of our church, for the people in our church, uh, for our city, our community, uh, our nation. We want to make prayer central to who we are and uh, what we do. And so we continue to learn as a church what this looks like and how we can live into this more and more. Uh, but uh, that's something that we're definitely trying to do. And, and what I want to do this morning is I want to start uh, with um, some facts or some quotes about prayer. I thought this might be helpful uh, to you as we kind of look at, um, uh, as we're looking at prayer and uh, what we can do. Uh, I thought it might be helpful to hear from some great communicators on kind of one-liners that they've said about prayer uh, as we jump into this morning, but, uh, and then we'll kind of review and, and get reoriented and, and uh, see what we can do. So um, I'm waiting for my, my technology to connect so that I can make that happen. So actually, Justin, you just want to run it for me? All right. Technology is wonderful when it works. When it doesn't, uh, that's too bad. Uh, that's actually the last slide, so let's go to the first slide in the show. All right. So, uh, so here's Adam Clark. He's a great theologian and author. Uh, he says, prayer requires more of the heart than the tongue. Uh, that's pretty good. Realizing that, that prayer is something that comes from the deepest parts of us, not just words that we say. That It's really about a matter of the heart uh, more than it is uh, the tongue. Okay, next one. Uh, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. That call, it comes from Oswald Chambers. And uh, I don't know if you're anything like me, but a lot of times when you uh, are praying, uh, sometimes you think, I ought to be doing something rather than just praying about it. And uh, Oswald Chambers gives us a great, great reminder that prayer is the doing. Prayer is the greater work. It doesn't prepare us. Uh, for the greater work itself. Are th- these are good. Uh, so next one, let's see. Every great movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure by D.L. Moody. Uh, isn't that the truth? That if we want God to do something powerful in our city, in our church, it has to, be, it has to begin with, uh, with our knees down on the floor before God, uh, praying for him to move and act on our behalf. Remember that prayer uh, is an invitation at its heart. Uh, and then this, I like this one. Seven days without prayer makes one week. <laughs> little play on words. That's fun. So I thought those might be helpful to you uh, as we just kind of explore what prayer is and, and uh, how we get there from here. So uh, let's jump into this morning's message then and, and um, 
see what God has to say to us today. I want to I want to review where we've been so far in this series because during this series we've been uh, asking some big questions about prayer. We began with the big question of who do we pray to? And uh, that was a foundational thing on the very first week. We have to understand who do we pray to? Uh, and that is what we came to decide and, and, and learn is that we pray to God through the Son. We pray to God through the Son, Jesus Christ. And then we asked, well, why do we pray? And uh, we, we talked about how in the ancient world there were lots of gods. And, and uh, there were believed to be many gods. There weren't actually many gods. There were believed to be many gods. And those gods would kind of oversee their own little section of the world. And uh, in order to have that God show his favor on you, you had to first impress that God. And so you would pray to impress. You would, you would stack up all kinds of fancy words. You would pray a long time, uh, not as an as a expression of your heart and the condition of your heart, but only to impress the God that you were trying to get his or her attention. And then you had to inform that God and say, here's what's going on. And, but we realized that we don't have to... We don't have to impress the God that is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. And we don't have to earn his favor because he's already shown us his favor in that Jesus died for us. That while we were still sinners, the Bible says, Christ died for us. He has already shown his richest favor on us. And that we certainly don't need to pray to inform God because there's nothing that we could say that God is not already aware of. And what we learned then is the, the reason why we pray is we pray to invite God. Uh, to work in our lives, that prayer at its, at its core is an invitation. It's an opening up of ourselves, saying, God, uh, would you work in my life? Would you move in this situation? Uh, and then last week, we addressed the very difficult question of what do we pray for? What do we pray for? And, uh, you know, we are often tempted to just pray that our situation will change. But what we learned last week as we looked at the broad scope of prayers uh, in the New Testament is that the New Testament seems much more concerned with connecting us to God rather than changing our circumstances. That the, the prayers that we find in the Bible in the New Testament are much more focused on connecting us to God than changing our circumstances. And I challenged us that, that when we pray, it's really not about the what. It's not about our circumstance, our situation, or the challenge that is before us immediately, but rather it is about the who. That prayer is, a, is foundational to prayer, is relationship, and prayer connects us to the who. And, uh, and so um, that's where we've been so far. Uh, what I want to do today is I want to uh, I wanna ask the question, how do we pray? How do we pray? Uh, because what, so far, the answer to these kind of big questions that we've, that we've gone over through this series, these are really good sort of philosophical ideas about prayer. Uh, but how do we begin to put them into practice? How do we move our prayer life from being sort of stagnant or lifeless to dynamic and full of life? And, and how do we get to the point that we've always wanted to be? Because uh, I, every Christian I know and every Christian I've ever met says, I, I, I need to pray more. I should pray more. I ought to pray more. My prayer life isn't where I want it to be. And I want to help give you some very practical tips this morning on how to move a little bit closer to where you feel like you need to be in terms of prayer. And so that's what we're going to do this morning is, is ask the question, how do we pray? And uh, once again, we're going to be looking uh, for answers uh, be from the Bible uh, and looking at prayers of the Bible. And the first thing that the Bible has to teach us 
is uh, that there ought to be a particular time that we pray. There ought to be a particular time that we pray. That's the first one. And uh, so, so let's look at, uh, we're going to look at a number of scriptures. We're not going to have any of them on the screen because we're going to be all over. Uh, but uh, I want you to kind of consider 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, beginning with verse uh, 15. Actually, beginning with verse 16, uh, then into 17, thinking about that there's a particular time that we should pray. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 and 17 says, Rejoice always and pray continually. I kind of set you up for failure there, didn't I? There's a particular time that you ought to pray. And the Bible says, always. And some of you are like, preacher, that's not helpful because that's not very, uh, that, doesn't, that doesn't help me. Uh, that sets me up for failure. The Greek word here for pray continually means without interruption. Without interruption. So, so Paul's instructions to the church in Thessalonica is to pray without interruption. And so is he calling us then to go to a room in our house, close the door, and live our lives on our knees Praying, which means none of you should be here in church today. You should be praying. Is that what Paul is telling us to do? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. What he's calling us to do is to have this attitude of prayer. Where we are in consistent and constant communication with our Creator. That even in our, our even in our going, even in our responsibility, even in our lives of, of work and, and play and church and all of these things that we do, even in those moments we can be communing with the God of the universe. That we are to pray continually, that we are to look to God, communicate with God uh, without interruption throughout the day. And yet we do see very specifically from the life of Jesus that there is a particular time that we are to pray. And I'm setting you up a little bit. But Mark, Mark chapter 1 says, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Luke chapter 4, verse 42 says, At daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. It's very early in the morning. It's at daybreak. And if you read the Gospels, you see example after example after example of when Jesus, early in the morning, when he went off, he withdrew, he went to a solitary place. But it's usually very early in the morning. And so these are just two examples of the times when Jesus goes out to pray in the morning. And so we have this sort of, we have this instruction, pray continually and And yet, at the same time, when we look at the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus had a habit of going to prayer in the morning. And so, the very practical tip that I want to share with you today, first of all, is that to give your prayer life a boost is to find a consistent time to pray. That's half the battle. If you can find a a habitual pattern of a time of day where you commune with the Lord in dedicated time of prayer, then, then if you can just get that down in your day, then chances are your prayer life will improve almost immediately. Because while we're told to pray continually, Jesus favored a specific time of the day when he went to pray. And so the point is that we are to... One, pray continually, but yet at the same time, there is a 
specific time of day that you probably favor for prayer, to form a habit of prayer. Some of you are early birds, uh, and uh, let me just say, you are awesome. If you're an early bird today, I wish I were you. You're awesome. Because, like, when my daughter wakes me up at 6.30 every morning, every morning, I am exhausted, and I just want to go back to bed. And some of you are like, if your kid woke you up at 6.30, you will have jogged five miles, read the New Testament, like, had a full-course breakfast, you know? I mean, you're just like, by 6.30 in the morning, you're like, when's lunch? You know, I mean... Early birds. Some of you are early birds. And that is a blessed thing. And that is, that is a phenomenal thing. You get to watch the sunrise. You get to hear the birds sing. You get to sit in the calm of the morning and meet with the Lord Jesus. And your life is good. And so some of you that are early birds, it only makes sense for your time of the day to pray, to be in the morning. It's like you wake up. Every day is a brand new day. The world is yours for you to have. And, and that is a great time to give you, to give God your best in prayer. Now, others of you are night owls. Night owls. How many of you are night owls? All right. How many of you are early birds? I, didn't, I forgot to ask. Oh, Lord Jesus, we need some help. Wow, we got some early birds up in here. Okay, so some of you are night owls. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Listen, listen. Don't let anybody make you feel bad for being a night owl. Because some people are like, Jesus prayed in the morning. So if you don't pray in the morning, you're not a Christian. Okay? And that is not the case. That is not the case. Don't feel bad, night owls. Just rock your prayers late into the night. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing. Because the night has a peace of its own. You get to sit under the glow of the moon and commune. I worked a long time on that. I worked a long time. You sit under the glow of the moon and you commune with the Lord, the creator of the universe. You get to watch the the stars come out. I mean, the night has a peace all its own. And so if you're a night owl, it would only make sense for your, to give God your best time of day and to pray before you go to bed. But I have a confession to make for you. I'm not an early bird, and I am not a night owl. I am a noontime cat. Okay? I got one more noontime cat up here in the, in the front row, the, the functional first row. Everybody knows the real front row is just, is just padding. Uh, you know, it's just space. Anybody else a noontime cat? Yeah, yeah. You're like, you're like early to bed, late to rise, makes somebody well-rested and wise. You know? That's me. That's me. I'm like, the, the middle of my day is, is the best time of day for me. So noontime cats, the sun is bright, the day is warm, the sun is at its peak, and so are you. And instead of rushing off to have a quick lunch, you slow down to meet with God over a vegetarian sandwich and organic pretzels. 
<laughs> right? You give so so listen, listen, there is a time of day. The Bible says pray continually. We're, we're, this, we're in this consistent communication with the Lord. But yet at the very same time, there is this specific time that we are to go and have a dedicated time of prayer with the Lord. And what's important is not the time, but that you have a time. Did you catch that? What's important is not the time, but that you have a time. And some of you need to just find that time. And some of you feel like you're so busy that you don't, you don't need to, to find a time. You need to make time. But, but the Bible is clear that if we're going to have a successful prayer life, if we're going to meet with the Lord on a consistent basis, and if we're going to model after the life of Jesus, we need to find which, whatever time of day that we can give God our best, then make it a habit to give God your best at that time. Early bird, night owl, or noontime cat, whatever you are, make sure that you're giving God your best. Well, this is really hard for couples who uh, want to pray together because God in his wisdom, God in his sense of humor, always matches an early bird with a night owl. And you're like, it is impossible to find a time of prayer, right? Because the night I was like, let's pray in the nighttime. And so, okay, let's do it. We're praying. And then the early bird is like, halfway through the prayer, before the amen, they're like, you know, like they just can't stay awake. And here's how it goes. It's like, she's an early bird, you're a night owl. So she gets, she gets up in the early morning and you pull the covers over your head and you roll over, you groan and you say, honey, just come back to bed. What are you doing? And then, and then right around 8.30, right around 9 o'clock, you know, when, 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 she's like, when she's like coasting in to go to bed, you're like, oh, just, you're just finally revving up, you know, and you're like, let's watch, you know, like 9 o'clock, you're like, let's watch a movie, let's watch some TV, let's go get half-price shakes at Sonic, let's go for a walk, you know, and she's just like not having it, you know, no, no, and, uh, and she's just like, in the morning, you're like, just come back to bed. In the nighttime, she's like, just come to bed. And this can be hard. It can be hard. But it's important to find a time. A time. The second thing, the practical tip. I told you this was going to be real practical today. Real practical. So the first thing is, if you can find a prayer time, then half the battle has already, already been fought. Where you can just, by habit, Go and to meet with the Lord. The second thing, though, is a place, a prayer place. Look at all these examples, not only in the, in the examples that we read already. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 42, at daybreak, Jesus went to a solitary place. And in Mark chapter 1, 35, very early in the morning while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went to a solitary place where he prayed. Uh, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and where he 
prayed. Luke chapter 6, the next chapter, same gospel. Uh, one, uh, one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray, and he spent the night there praying to God, and the night being the very, very early morning. You know, so we see these habits that Jesus has established in his prayer life, and, and we can learn a lot from these habits. First, a time, and second, a place. Listen to the, listen, did you catch the theme? Jesus is either going to a solitary place. It's described as him withdrawing. It's, it's, it's described as a lonely place. He went off to the mountainside. I mean, there's example after example after example in the Gospels of a particular kind of place that Jesus goes to pray. And again, what's important is not the place, because Jesus was, was traveling around and doing all kinds of ministry. It wasn't like he had one particular spot on his back patio. It, it wasn't like Jesus had a particular spot by that, by that riverbank or that, that place on the, on the bank of the lake or anything. He didn't have a, the same spot, but he always made a habit of going somewhere to pray, to have a prayer place. Let me ask you today, do you have a prayer time and do you have a prayer place? Again, what's important is not the place in particular. What's important is that Jesus withdrew from the busyness of his life in order to pray. Do you believe that Jesus was a busy guy? I mean, we're like, I wonder how many times we're like, man, I'm so busy. I just don't have time to pray. I just can't pray. I, I got to get up in the morning and I got I to get the kids to school. I got to get to class. I got to go to work. I got to do all this. And there's no way I could get up an hour earlier to pray. I mean, I, I got to work out. And then if I were to work out and pray, it's like one or the other, you know. It's like I can't do all these things. I just don't have enough time. I'm too busy. But, man, we need to realize that when we look at the gospel, Jesus is a busy guy. I mean, how many times do we hear stories of, of, of Jesus performing miracles? And then the way that the Bible talks about it is crowds begin to gather around. And, and Jesus, there's often, a lot of times we see Jesus like trying to get away from the crowds, right? right? I mean, he's like, he's getting in the boat and he's going across the lake. And then people just follow him on the shore to the other, the other side. I mean, it's like Jesus is a busy guy. And yet, he makes a time and he finds a place. And I just believe that, that if we could do these two really practical things, then our prayer lives would really take off. And what, what this allowed him to do, this withdrawing, this going to a solitary place, Jesus going to the mountainside, what this allows him to do is to get away from the busyness of life, to allow him to focus, and to free him from distraction. It allowed him to focus and it freed him from distraction. I wonder how many times in our effort to pray continually that we don't set aside time for a dedicated prayer time with Jesus in a place that's free of distraction. In fact, when we think about this, this time and place versus this sort of like Pray continually. I want you to think about it this way. Chances are you have someone that's very close to you, a, a best friend, a roommate, a spouse, that you are texting throughout the day, right? 
you're in constant communication with them. And you're like, you'll never believe what happened. And you're texting it out, not while you're driving. You know, and you're like texting it out. You'll never believe what happened. This is what happened. And you like take a picture, a video, and you text it off. Or, or some of you are like, just in the middle of the day, you're like, you know what? I love you so much, cookie face. And I just cannot wait to see you tonight. You know, and you, you're like sending these romantic texts back and forth. Yeah, I know who you are. And so does the Lord, okay? And like, you know, you're texting back and forth. You're doing all these things. You're in constant communication throughout the day. But chances are, with that same person, you also have a time of the day where you come together and you talk, like for real. Not texting, but you talk. And chances are, the conversation focuses on not the information, here's what happened, but how you felt about that event. Here's how this event impacted me. Here's my heart in this event. I want you to think about your communication with the Lord in the same way. Pray continually. Text God. I get it. That's a stretch. But you understand what I'm saying. Okay? We're in constant communication with the Lord. And yet, at the same time, there's a time and there's a place. For many couples, it's, it's, a, it's the dinner table at dinner. A time and a place where we come together at the end of the day and we talk. And I want you to think about your relationship with the Lord in that very same way. Pray continually. There's a time and a place. But what so often happens is in our effort to pray continually. Because when you're praying continually, you're praying in the midst of distraction and the busyness, right? You're like, you're, you're driving from one appointment to the next. You're, you're going from here to there. You're busy. You're already five minutes late. And you're praying, Lord, be with this person. This person comes to your mind. Help them. They need healing. They need your grace. They need your presence. Whatever it is, Lord, help me to be on time. Lord, I hope they haven't started the meeting yet. Whatever your prayer is, you're in constant communication with the Lord, but in the midst of the busyness. The problem is, because we live such busy lives, we never step out of the busyness and distraction to pray. We live constantly in the pray continually, and there is a balance. Pray continually, but there's got to be a time and a place where you come together to commune with the Lord. Is this helpful? There has to be this time and a place to come together. But so often you and I try to have that time and the place, but we sit in the middle of our busyness and try to pray. And then an email comes in. Ding! You get a text. Woohoo! <laughs> right? Your phone rings. You know? And you're like trying to pray and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And you're trying to pray and all these things create all sorts of artificial urgency. Right? I'm praying with my creator, the God of the universe. And a text comes in. And I interrupt the conversation with God to pick up a conversation on the text. See, Jesus was a busy guy. He didn't have an iPhone, but he was busy. And in order to have the time and the place, very early in the morning, Jesus went to a solitary place because it freed him from distraction and allowed him to focus. And so I, I just believe that God wants to speak to some of you about your prayer lives and encourage you 
that you need to let go of the distractions. What, what would happen if you were to not just put your phone on, on, on silence and vibrate in your pocket because you could still feel it vibrate. And you still have like all this artificial urgency. Ah! What is happening anywhere in the world that my phone has told me about? And then you're like reaching in your pocket, trying not to pull the phone out. Okay, not that big of a deal. Okay, Lord, I'm back. Right? What would happen if you just put your phone on vibrate, set it down, and then went to a solitary place at a particular kind of time? Would that help? I'm preaching to myself, too, by the way. Because sometimes we like to read our Bibles on here, too. Helpful, not helpful. Right? Helpful, but not all that helpful. Because if you, if you have an Apple device, it comes down. It's like everything, an email, a text, there's like this little scroll thing that comes down over the biblical text with a normal text. And it can be a distraction. See, Jesus went to a place. He withdrew from the distraction so that he could focus on prayer. Here's another quick idea that I've picked up to free ourselves from distraction. Is to keep a notepad and not your iPad, but like, like pen and paper, like Go back to 1992, get some pen and paper, and then bring it back and, and put it beside your, you know, on your desk or wherever in your prayer place. That way, because I don't know about you, but when I'm praying, my mind is also racing. And I'm like, oh, I need to do this thing, or I was supposed to tell that person something, or, or sometimes I get really good sermon ideas in the middle of prayer, right? And, and I've got, and, and, and the great thing is to free yourself from distraction is if you see that quick thought, I need to remember that, rather than allowing that to derail you, write it down, and then get back to prayer. And that will help you free yourself from distraction, because we live in a world with all kinds of noise. Um, <clears throat> in college, I would usually, my prayer time was around 11 to midnight, uh, right before my donut run at 1 a.m. <laughs> and so... And so when I was in college, I, I, my prayer time was this real late at night, right? I'm a night owl. And uh, then my prayer place was there, there was a, a lake on campus, and I would always go uh, to, to one spot on the shore of that lake uh, late at night and, and spend my time uh, in prayer. Uh, my life doesn't allow me to do that. Number one, I don't live in a neighborhood where there's a lake. Um, number two... I can't exactly just leave my family at 11 o'clock every night. Number three, I am dead as a doornail asleep at 11 o'clock. I mean, there's just all kinds of things that would not allow that to happen, right? So you have to shift and be dynamic, but find a time and find a place. And then keep that notepad right beside you and write down something that comes into your head. The third thing, and this is the last one, is a prayer posture. A prayer posture. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about the posture of our bodies when we pray. And you probably don't realize that, or you probably maybe have never known that, but, but check this out. 
the first posture is, is that of standing, uh, standing to pray. Luke chapter 18, uh, verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance uh, and he was not even able to look up to heaven, but he beat his, his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. So this tax collector is standing and praying and asking for forgiveness and asking God into his life. In Mark chapter 11, it says, And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you of your sins. Nehemiah chapter 9, verses 2 through 4, those uh, of Israelite, Israelite descent had separated themselves from all the foreigners. They stood in their places and they confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. They stood where they were and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And they spent another quarter in confession and worshiping uh, the Lord their God. And standing on the stairs uh, of the Levites um, were Jeshua and Bonnie and Cadmiel and all these other characters. And they cried out with loud voices to the Lord their God. Standing is a great posture for prayer. Standing represents honor. Uh, Have you ever heard and sometimes every now and then and now and again we'll do this as a church but we will stand in honor of the reading of god's word it's a way of honoring when when someone of of uh, royalty or significance walks into a room it's often uh, customary even in our own culture for that for the rest of the room to stand in honor and so when we stand and we pray we're demonstrating honor to the god that we are praying to we're praying to god through the Son, and demonstrating honor with our posture. The second posture that I want to look at this morning is kneeling. Uh, Kneeling is probably the most common uh, prayer posture that we see in Scripture. But just a few examples are are, are this. Acts chapter 7, verse 60. uh, Then he fell to his knees, and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And uh, and when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is Stephen, the very first uh, martyr of the faith, who is being stoned for his faith in Jesus. Uh, As he is being stoned, he kneels and he prays, Father, forgive them. Now that sounds really familiar, doesn't it? The same prayer that Jesus prays on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And right as he said this, Stephen fell asleep, which is a a very nice way of saying, after that he died. Luke chapter 22. Uh, This is Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, that is the disciples that were with him, and then he knelt down and he prayed. And the prayer that he prays is, Father, uh, Lord God, if there is any other way for you to accomplish what you are purposing to accomplish, may that other way be done. But nevertheless, your, not my will, but yours, is Jesus' prayer. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before he is crucified on the cross, he kneels down to pray. In Acts chapter 20 and then again in chapter 21, we, we see Paul kneeling to pray with members of all the churches. Uh, that he has gone about, he's ministering to, he's planting these churches. And as most often as he leaves, as he's heading to the next church, he's going to visit the next church, he's going to plant the next church, he's moving on in ministry. It is very customary in the book of Acts for Paul to be found kneeling down with the people of the church in prayer. And kneeling represents reverence. 
while standing represents honor, kneeling in our posture represents a reverence for who God is. And then the third posture is to, uh, to lay prostrate, to lay prostrate. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 6, Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands, and they responded, Amen, Amen. And then they bowed down, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Psalm 138, verse 2, I will bow down toward your holy temple and praise your name for your unfailing love and your faithfulness. First Chronicles 29, chapter 20, Then David said to the whole assembly, Praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord and the God of their fathers, and they bowed down, prostrating themselves before the Lord, the king. And this posture represents surrender or openness. Surrender or openness to what God wants to do in our lives. Maybe in times of desperation, you have found yourself taking on one of these postures. Maybe in times of of prayer and fasting, you have dedicated yourself to kneeling or to, to laying prostrate before the Lord. But My guess is, if you're anything like me, your most typical posture of prayer is sitting. But you know the Bible almost never mentions sitting as a posture of prayer? In fact, it only mentions it twice in all of Scripture, sitting while we pray. One is... For a king who the Lord is looking down upon, he sits and he prays. And the other one describes Moses as being very fatigued or tired, and so he sits to pray. And, uh, you know, our posture says a lot about our heart, because ultimately what these, are, these postures are about is, is not so much the, the posture of our body, but that they, the posture of our body reflects the posture of our heart. And, you know, one of the most common things that we do in our culture is we sit. And uh, some of you are going to feel really self-conscious after I say this. But we sit and we cross our legs. Do you know what this is in body language? Boredom. Careful now. I see you crossing those legs during the sermon. How many times do we pray like this? If you're anything like me, sometimes I'm in my office chair, which like leans back. And so sometimes, literally, I am praying to the God of the universe in my office chair, laid back, legs crossed, sometimes feet on the desk. Don't look down on me. And I find that my prayer life in that moment isn't very active. It doesn't feel very alive. Could it be because of my posture? Right? These are really just very practical tips of how to to spice up your prayer life and breathe new life into it. In fact, I would argue that that some of you, you you have the the prayer time down. You're an early bird. You got it down. You have the prayer place down. It's awesome. It's in an office chair. It's on the back patio. It's somewhere. it's It's in your study. But your study has that really comfortable easy chair. And it's early in the morning. And you're leaning back and you have your legs crossed. And I wonder, to breathe new life into your prayer life, if you were to get off the easy chair 
and onto your knees, what might happen? Or if you were to get off the easy chair and stand up. Or if you were to get off the chair and lay face down. What is the posture of your heart in that moment? Do you desperately need to surrender a part of your life to God that you've been withholding from him? Maybe you should lay prostrate before him with a posture of openness and surrender. Maybe God in your life has demonstrated himself to be so good and so trustworthy and you want to show him honor. And so in your study, what would happen if you stood in the honor of who God is in your life? And you prayed standing. What would happen if you just needed to show reverence for who God is? And so you began to kneel. Yeah, but my knees hurt. And, and I'm uncomfortable. And, and all of these things. I know. Maybe part of the problem is we're too comfortable when we pray. But again, the important thing is not so much the posture of our body, but the posture of our heart. But I really want you to consider this morning the connection between the posture of our heart and the posture that our body begins to take on. And so, practical tips of how do we pray? How do we improve our prayer life? Do you have a prayer time? Do you have a prayer place? And will you consider taking on, for just an experiment maybe, some kind of prayer posture. We see this in scripture. We see this in the life of Jesus. And I believe that it can help us. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.